This is Mercy Harper, writer for Research Services at APQC. And this is Lauren Trees. I lead the Knowledge Management Research Program for APQC. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to APQC Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, we're here with Juan Cicada, Principal Scientist at Data World, to talk about knowledge graphs. Welcome to the podcast, Juan. Hello, Mercy Lauren. How are you guys doing? Thank you so much for the invitation. Really excited about this today. So glad to have you on. Because at APQC, we've seen a few organizations do some really amazing things with knowledge graphs. Um, for example, NASA just shared with us how they use knowledge graphs to match employees to the right roles and identify skills gaps. But honestly, a lot of people, myself included, don't really understand everything these smart people are talking about. And that's why I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today, Juan, because um, our listeners really need a foundational understanding of what knowledge graphs actually are, um, what they can do, and how they might get started with this. So let's start with the basics. Can you first give us your best four dummies explanation of knowledge graphs? Yes. So I like to zoom out for a minute and say knowledge graphs can be con are considered uh, a manifestation of the early vision in computing and computer science to co-create intelligent systems that combine knowledge and data together at scale. So this has been kind of what as computer scientists and even before computer science was, was coined, we've been always trying to understand how to combine knowledge and data together. Um, so my very specific uh, uh, definition, it's, it's a collection of the real world concepts like a customer, an order, a product, and the relationships between them. A customer places an order. They purchase a product. The customer has a shipping address. The customer has a mailing address. And these real world concepts and these real world relationships, they happen to be in the form of a graph. Uh, and we use this to be able to go integrate data that comes from many, many different sources. So the whole relationships that we're talking about, orders, customers, that's the knowledge. And then that knowledge is being connected with data that can come from all different types of sources, relational sources, text, and uh, things you want to do with NLP, APIs, and so forth. So let me stop there. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I, I guess I always have questions about the user experience, and I, I have a pretty decent understanding of how this works on the back end, but how an end user experiences a knowledge graph, what kind of products or applications or, um, you know, just how it plays out for people who are not building them, but who are maybe using them inside an organization or just out on the web. Yeah. So first thing I would say is that if, if you don't know that a knowledge graph is behind, that's probably success. Okay, so like, yeah, you, you don't know that an Oracle database is behind your, your your POS system or whatever, right? You just order something or whatever. So the technology should always be hidden in this aspect. But uh, everybody encounters knowledge graphs without them knowing. So for example, the biggest, the biggest example is you go to Google and you search, right? So think about 10 years ago, your search experience. So to answer your very specific, that very specific answer, Search is, an, is a user experience. 10 years ago, you would search something on Google and what would you get? You get a 10 blue links. Well, what is, what is, a, what is the intention here? Like you have, you, you really are interested in some fact or, or, or in some information about a thing, right? So right now when you go search on Google and you search for, I don't know, Austin, 
you get a bunch of links, but you get what we call the knowledge panel on the side. And that knowledge panel is saying, oh, you search, here's Austin, which is a city. It shows you a map. It shows you a, a bunch of information about Austin. It shows you events that are occurring in Austin. What's the weather in Austin and so forth. So if you think about it as a graph, like, oh, Austin is a city and there's all these things that are going around Austin. I'm just pulling that all together and giving that to you, that one experience. So search is one of those, those experiences to go do that. Another thing is that when you start bringing in knowledge, knowledge gives us a lot of context about things, right? So because you, you, you follow the relationships, you say, oh, well, this Austin is a, is, a, is a city, it's in Texas, it's a capital, here are other capitals of states in the United States, for example, right? You get that context out of that. Um, then you, if you have context, you can do more things, and that's why you can do recommendations, right? Suggestions. So that's another type of application that you go see, right? So all the e-commerce, uh, Amazon, everybody of the world, right? They all use knowledge graphs underneath the hood to be able to go power, not just their search, but also the recommendations. I mean, it, you look at things like Alexa and your, and your personal agents, they're all using that very, that knowledge to be able to go answer your questions and be able to go provide recommendations. So two, two particular examples there for, from the user experience. Absolutely. So this is the the technology behind when we get like that kind of perfect consolidated answer through search that, you know, is pulling from a bunch of different sources to give us kind of like how to make a chocolate chip cookie or whatever, you know, things like that. Is that, would you say that's true? That's exactly what's happening underneath the hood. And that's the holy grail of enterprise knowledge management. I feel like when you talk about the knowledge panel in Google, that's what everybody comes and asks knowledge managers. Why can't it be more like Google? So <laughs> this is exactly it. I I I was in a uh, at the Knowledge Graph conference a couple of weeks ago, and um, I was I was a, I was a moderating a panel for the data architecture, and one of the people on on, on the panel was uh, one of my friends, Sarah Nash from Enterprise Knowledge another great company that does knowledge management. And I asked her, I always do this question, magic wand, here's a magic wand. What would you want it to go solve immediately? And she's like, can we just have the Google that's what people want? It's a Google search for this. And I think we get so much into the into the details of things, but we have to zoom out. It's like people want to be able to go easily search and find things. Um, the next question is, okay, wh why do you want to go search and find things? What, what does it probably want to go do? So search is a means to an end. Let's remind that. Totally. So, I mean, sounds awesome. But uh, what, what do you need to get started in terms of technology, skill sets for people that are putting these things together, and the current state of your data that you're bringing to the table and hoping to integrate into this knowledge graph? So always three things, people, process, technology, and as technologists, we would love to go and just hop in and talk about technology all the time. And that's the one I'm actually going to leave for the end. So I think from a, from a, the first thing is um, on the people aspect, I think there's two things, there's two sides right now that we see. There's your producers of data and then there's your consumers of data. So your producers of data, they're the ones typically like your data engineers, right? Your data stewards, they, they manage and understand where the data is today. Um, and then you have your consumers of data. They're the ones who are trying to go search for something to go answer the questions, right? They're your data scientists, your data analysts. So this is what's happening. That's kind of the two pillars of, of, of the folks. What is missing and what we're starting to go see a change in, I think this is where the knowledge management community is going to thrive and really win here, is that we need to have that bridge between the producers and the consumers. So the thing, the problems that we have a lot today is that 
these folks don't talk to each other. And when they do, they kind of talk over, over each other because they're like, we don't understand what the language is. So this is where I'm, I'm advocating for the role. I call this the knowledge scientist. This is really the knowledge engineer from the 90s, but upgraded to the technologies and the state of the data knowledge today, where you are, where you are basically almost like a therapist. Like you're, you, you know what, uh, how to go deal with people who are with the business folks and understand, ask the questions and realize, hey, we're all using this word order, but kind of doesn't mean the same thing, right? And you're able to go manage that conversation and realize, so what is an order for you? Well, no, it's when the, the, the user click checkout on the website. Wait, no, for me, an order is when the package was shipped and it was delivered. For me, no, it's when the money came in. It's like, okay, so context, remember? So you want to understand who's asking these things or what their perception is. And then you want to be able to go translate that and say, okay, where is this in the data? Uh, and then now you have to get more into the technical side of it. Let's see this in the data. And then, and I, in, and I actually consider it almost as a, as a science because you're going to say, there's these hypotheses. I believe this is what it means. And let's go test this out. So I think that's on the people side. And, and, and that's something that's been missing kind of in, in one of those kind of very explicit roles. Things that we have that, that, that are on that way is we have the taxonomist, the ontologist, Right, but those are folks who spend more time on the knowledge side, working with the consumers. What we really need to go do is to tie that and connect that to the actual data. Um, so that's that, that's that's on the people side. Second is on the process, how to get started. The thing that we see over and over again is people love to go boil the ocean, and they don't do it on purpose. It just kind of happens. They get excited, and the things, the scope gets too big. Uh, what do how how are we defining success? Right. I think this is something success is too high level. We need to be able to go bring this down. And I think what's important is to look at other areas where we have where we deal with this type of approaches, which is like software engineering. We have met agile methodologies to be able to go uh, to go develop software. We need to have agile methodologies to be able to go create data and knowledge together as uh, graphs. So I think that's in the process side is to be agile around these things. The way to go do this is start with a backlog of questions of use cases and start build from that understand that what is the how am i going to tie this to business value so that's the process sorry and then when it comes on to the technology finally uh so a, a lot of the things is uh about be able to go manage your knowledge manage your ontology so you'll have uh tools to go do taxonomies and, and i think this is where a lot of the it, there's a lot of tools out there for taxonomy management ontology management um and then there's uh the actual storage of things so that's where Certain graph databases will come in. There's all the, the graph databases out there. But what is interesting also is how do I integrate that data coming from different places? So, and then you're, and that's, there's existing technologies to go do transformations around these things. Uh, you can also write this as code, uh, but then you need to have who's going to go do this, who's going to go implement it, and what process. Um, so that's, that's why I think it's more important to think about the people, the process, than the mm. technology. I think, honestly, I think the technology is out there. There's all these metadata management. Uh, I, I work at data.world. We're the enterprise data catalog for the modern data stack. You need to have a catalog. You need to understand what I have today. That is the lay of the land. And it, that's going to give me the basis of what I want to be able to go create in my knowledge graph. So mm. it's like... You, you you need to know what you need to know how your house is organized or unorganized to go figure out what I'm actually going to start presenting and, and, and clean up. And that's going to happen in an indirect approach. That was a long winded answer. <laughs> uh, let me step back here. Uh, 
Well, I love what you're saying about that knowledge scientist role, that therapist role. I think a lot of organizations have leaned out some of the connective tissue between these different activities and um, and have really suffered from that. I, I wanted to ask you, you know, if I'm a knowledge management leader in an organization trying to do this, do you have any advice for how to bring these different stakeholders to the table, get them to agree on some of these definitions and avoid the kind of scope creep that you're talking about? Yeah. So, so this is, this is, this is culture that we have to go deal with. Okay. So there is no one size fit all that. I, I mean, I, I'll, I'll talk about some techniques here, but it doesn't mean they're going to go work. Unfortunately, it's culture and we don't know what's going to work, but here are some ideas. Yep. So, yep. <laughs> we're, we're, I mean, so the other thing to consider is that part of the cultural aspect is understanding your balance between centralization and decentralization within an organization. So if you have a very centralized culture, your your culture is like, oh, I need I need to know everything and I need to make sure that there is a one single version of the truth of that stuff. If you're a very decentralized culture, you're like, huh, it's okay. Like they're doing things on orders, they're doing things on orders. Like that's that's our culture. And we don't see this as a bad thing. So it's really hard to go change those types of things. Um, I think that that when it when it comes to to kind of how to how to get started, this is a uh, uh, one of the uh, our our director of of sales engineer Stuart Kerber at Data.World. He's told me this, this story before, and he's like, um, back in the sixties or fifties, you think everybody wanted to go to the moon? People were just standing up saying, "I want to be an astronaut and go to the moon." Like, no, they were crazy. Like you're a crazy person if you want to go to the moon. Who are those crazy people within the organization who want to go do something different? Go find them. And how do you find them? I mean, this is the culture aspect. You literally go, I mean, that's why it's important to be back in person for a lot of these things. You want to go talk and figure out, hey, you're kind of crazy. Like you're really like, you're, you're tired of the status quo. Like let's like let's go team up on these things. So I think one is finding those, those crazy bunch, that crazy bunch, those astronauts want to go do something different and and this different thing is uh my one of my favorite sayings einstein's definition of insanity is keep doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results so people are acknowledging that we're driving ourselves insane so go find those people so that's one thing and then what you really need to go do is understand the business understand the value of the business we talk a lot about data literacy and i pause and i think what about business literacy what, how does this business work? How am I going to tie what I'm doing here in this technical work and understand what is the business value for that? So culture too is like, let's get people interested, not just in the data, but also in getting the business. That way you're like, hey, this crazy person has this idea and I can actually make the case of what the value is. And then start with one. Start with one person who's like, this is our definition of an order and start getting the traction about it. The four, another thing is be comfortable with friction. It's, you know what? People are going to agree. People are going to disagree. That's fine. Actually, if you don't hear anybody discussing about something, either two things are happening. One, it's perfect. Don't touch it. Or nobody's using it. If people are discussing having that friction, let's go focus and figure that's what, what's, what's going on right there. And that's an indicator of value. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the application that I hear the most about in the knowledge management space is improving search and contextual search and also proactive recommendations. 
And I think one of the challenges that we see, especially in old, big, complicated com companies is that they have decades and decades of content that's maybe not completely, um, you know, connected, it's duplicative, it's out of date. So I, I was wondering if you have any advice for applying knowledge graphs in that kind of situation and what kind of pre-work you might need to do or how you can compensate for that. Yeah. So I think, again, the technology is is out there, right? You have NLP technology to be able to go extract concepts of these things, right? There's all this stuff about data cleaning, right? I mean, we're just, that, that that's the technology we'd be using. Again, we have to find a different way, which is, again, it's the people in the process. So part of the people in the process aspect, which is different, is uh, look at this problem, not from a technical perspective, but from a social, social technical perspective. I think part of the paradigm shift is that we've been looking at data management and knowledge management from a technology perspective, and we need to look at it from a social technical phenomenon. So with that, one of the social technical paradigm shifts is this notion of treating data as a product. And I think this is exactly what we need to start thinking about. And what I mean by treating data as a product is I've been working on this little framework that I call it the, the ABCs of data product. Accountability, boundaries, contracts and expectations, downstream consumers, and your explicit knowledge. So that product that you want, the people who are consuming and searching, they're not, they're not interested in whatever random data. They're interested in like the same thing you go buying on Amazon or whatever. You're interested in a product, and when you go to the product, you search for it, you find something with a bunch of pictures, you get all the descriptions, you get the metadata, you get the stars, the reviews, the question, it compares it, it tells you how you can use this product with another product, and so forth. Same thing should be the experience that you do in search and when you're buying something, within buying or accessing, searching for any type of data knowledge within your organization. So accountability, what is, the, what is this thing? Right? Who fixes it when it breaks? Who is the person who's responsible taking ownership, grading the requirements? Boundaries is what is, I mean, like product managers, think about it as a box. What's in this box? What's outside of this box? Um, contracts and expectations, right? What are, the, what are, what are we going to be providing? What are the SLAs? What are the SLOs? Uh, what are the policies? What are the securities, uh, the security behind this? Downstream consumers, who is asking for this thing? I'm building this for whom? And who are the next possible users of this? What is the roadmap going to look like? And the explicit semantics is going to say, give me a well-defined schema. Give me well-defined terms. Give me the documentation around these things. So if we start thinking about that, then let's, think, let's kind of figure that framework for what a product is. And then we go into like, okay, what is the technology? Is there duplicated data? Should I go talk about this? What is quality? People always say, I want quality data. What is quality? Quality is in the eye of the beholder. Depending, if you're the marketing team, you probably don't need a super high quality data for these things. If you're doing some other things, maybe you do. My data product is, is we're offering a quality of green, yellow, and red. That's it. Because that's what my consumer wants. For another one, they're like, I need to have a 99.9%. So understanding those requirements is mm -hmm. what's going to help us figure out where we should go focus on energy and what technology we should go use. So I Figure that I did not answer directly your question <laughs> because I flipped because I because it's like I think that's not the question we should be asking. I think it's like the paradigm shift is that's a question we've always been asking. Like oh, something different is treating data as a product. Well, I, I think you're answering the question by saying that we need to have the right people and processes in place to make this happen. <laughs> you know, and, and the right thinking around it. So it, it, it makes sense to me.
Totally. A very uh, KME answer that I'm sure you appreciated, Lauren. <laughs> Indeed. So um, Juan, I wanted to close out with kind of a big picture question. What do you think needs to happen for knowledge graphs to become more popular and accessible? Um, I, I, I'm glad you bring it, you're asking me this question. Um, I think that we live in a world that I call a data first world. Yeah, and and the, the all the AI and deep learning, all this stuff has, has driven us to that. Why? Because it's all about giving more data, data, data. I, I, I just give me more data. I need more data. And I, I, I pause and I, and I ask like, okay, really? So you have not been able to solve your problem because you lack data. So if I give you more data, your problem solved, call BS on that. So that's again, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I think we need to have a shift of, of just thought of it's not just data, it's knowledge. It's a, it, we have to shift from this data first world to a knowledge first world. And what I mean by a knowledge first world, it's people first, context first, relationships first. And until we don't have that shift, we're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over again, right? So very specifically, we need to start thinking more about knowledge. How do we go do this? I think it is all the way from executive level saying, I need to start focusing on, on for example, quality of data. I, if I'm going to go focus on quality of data, how is this tied down to the bottom line of our business, right? If we have wrong data or we don't know what this data means, how much money are we leaving off the table or we're losing because of that? And I have very, very I work with a lot of customers who we've really been able to understand things like that. It's like now we're doing all this work about knowledge because I'm connecting it to making money, saving money. That's one thing. Um, on, 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 on kind of uh, the, the next generation kind of coming out of, of school, we need to go educate, I think differently. We focus so much on data science and hey, you can get, there's no bachelor's in data science, you can get a master's in data science where you learn a bunch of big data, Hadoop and all that, and then you learn a bunch of statistics and all that stuff. I'm like, but what about the meaning? Where is the logic? Where's the knowledge representation? Uh, you go get a degree in computer science and assuming you took a database course, you probably got two lectures on data modeling. That's it. That needs to change. So there's that change from an academic educational project, uh, perspective. And there's a change from an executive thinking about how we need to go connect this to the, to the bottom line of organization. So those are the things we need to go start changing. And after that, we start thinking about knowledge and then that's where we're gonna go see more of the popularity and accessibility of knowledge graphs. Absolutely. I totally love that answer. Thank you so much, Juan. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me. Uh, I love these questions. And hopefully uh, any other people want to follow up, you can find me very easily on LinkedIn, on, on, on Twitter, and I'm just Juan at data.world. And I also have to plug in, we all have our own podcast, which is called Catalog and Cocktails, an honest, no BS, non-salesy podcast about data. So if you like what you hear, um, listen to us too. Absolutely. And so we'll include a link to that, um, your website, as well as your book on enterprise knowledge graphs in the show notes. Thanks. And once again, I'm Mercy Harper. And I'm Lauren Trees. Thanks for joining us for this APQC podcast. Please go to apqc.org to learn more about our research, and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Mm -hmm.